topic is first things, second things. We're going to look at that today. It's very difficult at times to get our priorities right. And straight up from the beginning, I'll tell you the problem is, very often we make second things first things. And the first things in life we push to the sidelines. It's a very easy and natural mistake to make, but it has devastating consequences on our spirituality and indeed the whole of our life. We're going to see what Jesus has to say about this topic. Matthew 6, verse 19 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body, more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith. Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. First things, second things. As I've already intimated, one of the hardest things is to get our priorities right and to get them consistently right. We're all very, very busy people. We live in London. <laughs> we are London busy. Our life is so packed with activity, responsibility, and sometimes we find it hard to distinguish between what is truly important and what we should focus on from the stuff that's less important. And this can have a tremendously negative effect on our spiritual life. Even our fruitfulness in the kingdom of God can be choked by the thorns that Jesus spoke about in the parable of the sower, where he says, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So how do we approach all of this? How do we know which priorities to follow? Well, Jesus 
makes it very clear when he says in Matthew 6, verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Verse 20, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's why it's so important to make sure that you're valuing, treasuring the right things because where your treasure is, your heart's going to follow. So Jesus shows the vital importance of getting our priorities right. And then in verse 24, he says, no one can serve two masters. He doesn't say you ought not to serve two masters. He says you can't. You'll end up hating one, loving the other, resenting one, following the other. So he says, don't do that. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon here is finance, money, but it's more the spirit of this world which presses us to go after material things, to chase security, satisfaction, in the material things, the things that we can see rather than having our total confidence in God and what he chooses to provide. Here Jesus shows us the dangers, the spiritual dangers associated with a divided loyalty, a divided heart. Then in Matthew 6, verses 31 through 34, he says, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear. And it's not just about our menu or just about our, our fashion or anything like that. He's, he's saying, don't worry about those basic things of life, the things that the Gentiles run after. That's all they have. They live in insecurity and they only live for what they can see and touch. And so all of their life is invested into those values. And again, not just material values, but the things that this world can offer, the things that this world promises by way of satisfaction, to satisfy those deepest longings, those deepest desires. He said, don't run after those things. Make those things second things. But, verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. So here the real priority is putting God first and his kingdom first. Now notice Jesus, when Jesus says you can't serve both God and mammon, he's touching on a really raw nerve. Because the first person to be troubled by this when we seek to serve God and mammon, the first person to be disturbed is God himself. God is a very, very jealous God. Not jealous in the way that you and I express human jealousy, as a weakness, but because he loves us so much, he created us for his glory, redeemed us, placed us into Christ, that we can have a restored relationship with him and to get to know him and find in him the true joy of our purpose and destiny and significance. And anything that interferes with that plan, he, he doesn't like at all, not just for his own glory's sake, though indeed for that, but also for our benefit. He says, you're wasting your time, you're getting involved in stuff that is not going to help you. I want you to be totally taken up with my plan. Do not place your security in things. Do not place your significance in your bank account or, or your position in society or, or any other uh, way of deriving your self-worth. Now, this kind of divided loyalty, friends, can take many faces. It can take the very obvious face of somebody who is out for themselves. Anybody like that? Within five seconds, you say, that person is obviously out for himself. And they, they use and manipulate, and they're friends with you, uh, only so far as what they can get out of you. 
and you can see that the way they live, even uh, calling themselves Christians, they have no time for God. They will do a flyby presentation every Sunday. Here I am, buy uh, something in the offering, maybe a lot in the offering. We've got to tip God, got to make sure that God notices uh, how much we uh, have put in the offering. And then no thought of God the whole of the week. And, and you say, well, you know, Colin, I know you're a pastor, and you're a dangerous person because you want to steal more and more of my time. You want me to attend this and attend that and more and more time given over to the church. Not at all. I don't want one minute of your time. But God wants all of your time. All of your life lived for God. And the majority of that, if you're a sane, sensible, and sober person, will be outside of church meetings. The majority of that time will be serving God in the wider community, in your family. That's why it's so good that we have these marriage enrichment programs out there in the marketplace. That's why it's so good that we focus on equipping you to be a soldier of Jesus Christ, a representative of Jesus, living for him, loving him, serving him in the marketplace. Every day of your life is kingdom living. And he will not allow, he does not want you to have a divided loyalty and we have various subtle ways of making this ever so spiritual. We're ever so spiritual. We have our daily quiet times. Amen. I got all my quiet times in last week. No wonder God has blessed me. And while we give our tithes and offerings, and please don't stop doing that, but to give our tithes and offerings, and we think, God, I've been tithing every month for the last five years. And have you noticed? I also give offerings in addition to my tithe. That's better than the person sitting next to me, because I happen to know, I saw the meager check they wrote out. And, 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 and you know what, Lord? Even, even once or twice a year, I double tithe. Amen. So now you got to bless me. Amen. What we're doing when we say we're serving God is we are entering into a contract with God. And sometimes it's not spoken. Sometimes it's not even conscious. But this is the deal. God, I'm for you. I'm on your side. I have received Jesus into my heart. And now I'm living for you. I'm doing everything for you. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord of oh my soul. Now, God, you got to not forget the benefits that are coming to me. So we say, God, we say we're serving God, but really we're trying to get God to serve us. And here's the thing. God, I will serve you. I'll do everything. But you got to make life work for me the way I want you're going to give me the very best. I'm really going for the good life, and, and you're a good God, so you've got to give me the good life, and I'm, I'm doing my thing, so you've got to now kind of come through for me. I think, sad to say, I don't want to be too harsh on this, but sometimes when we look at it, we find that many Christians are living nothing more than a Christianized version of hedonism. Lovers of pleasure. I'm here for the good life. God, you've got to make it good for me. And hedonism, pleasure, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Others are living a Christianized form of materialism. They're living for material things and what material things can, can, can bring. And so whether you're looking for the good life or the satisfied life, you know, that's not the deal. That's not the deal. God's never made that deal with us. 
We love him, serve him, whatever happens. Amen. And we're in difficulty. We say, God will deliver me, but if not, I will not bow down to that them, their image. No way. I'm going to love God, serve God, because I'm living for his glory. He doesn't exist for my glory. It's so easy to confuse these things. And um, so it's as if we think that God is obligated, that if we are good, jolly good Christians, that God is obligated to give us what we want, to make us happy. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Where you put your treasure, where you invest your heart, that is what is really motivating you. So don't lay up treasures on earth for yourself. Value the true riches of the kingdom of God, not the earthly stuff, because if you live like that, you're no better than the people of the world who run after these things. That's the word that Jesus uses. The Gentiles seek these things. The Gentiles run after them. That's all they have. All they believe really exists, all that's really important is the things that they can see and touch. And so the more stuff you have, the happier you are. Uh, and, and so they look for that kind of way of living and, and they run after these things. It's like they're, 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 they're kind of motivated. That's all they have. That's their purpose. And they, they count the quality of their life by the quality of possessions. They count the value of their life by the levels of satisfaction that they can get in the world. And, and he says, don't be like that. The Gentiles, that's the kind of non-Christian community. And, and they will discover one day, hopefully before it's too late, that there is no ultimate value in those things. There is no real lasting deep satisfaction other than in God himself because he made us and he's the one who knows how we function and, and his desire is to see us filled with the abundant life of the kingdom. And the abundant life of the kingdom is not the abundance of peace and prosperity and security and satisfaction. It's tasting the cool, refreshing, satisfied, satisfying waters of God the Holy Spirit and rising into the riches and wealth of deep relationship with God and connection with our fellow members in the body of Christ. Oh, I believe um, many people today can say amen to all of that. Paul says in Colossians 3 verse 1, if if you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. In other words, you thought when you came in and sat down today, you're sitting in Kensington Temple building. You're not. You are seated in heaven. Not that we're heaven, but we're in Christ and he's seated in heaven. And that's where all our life is. Christ is our life. So it just makes logical sense that we invest in that which is real and true about ourselves not in the secondary things, as important as they may be. And here's where we come in. Everybody says, amen. Yeah, we believe God. Yes, seek first the kingdom of God. Amen. Well, who's going to pay the rent, Lord? Seek first the kingdom of God. Have you noticed the mortgage? Oh, Father, Father, Father. Have you noticed that the pay rises are not even in line with inflation, Lord? Oh, Lord, we seek first the kingdom of God. Amen, amen, amen. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. It's the beginning of the month. Praise God. But there's too much month for this money. So what's going to happen, God? <laughs> Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom. Amen, amen, amen. And uh, you know, what happens is this. And it probably was rising in you unless you were able to keep that nice spiritual presentation for a little while. But if I kept on about this, sooner or later, somebody would say in themselves, maybe out loud, Yes, that's all very well and good, but who's going to pay the jolly rent? I need to live, Lord. Seek first the kingdom of God. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> 
Praise God. But who's going to pay the rent? Who's going to pay the bills? So we want to address this. And Jesus addresses it, doesn't he? He hasn't forgotten that you need that stuff. Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Isn't that what we read? So God knows. I don't like the super spiritual kind of theological analysis. I've had this so many times because you see, there are these people, I'm not being rude of people, but sometimes the non-charismatics will point to the charismatics and saying, you're all talking about blessing this, blessing that, blessing, and God will bless you, bless you and prosper you financially. Oh, no, 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 you're so unspiritual. You should be like us, you see. All you're talking about is Old Testament. Old Testament, the blessings are physical. New Testament, the blessings are spiritual. Have you heard that before? Ephesians 1 verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Ah, you see, spiritual blessing. It doesn't say physical blessing. It only says spiritual blessing. So what? New Testament believers go hungry? Are we living under the wrong covenant? Go back to the old covenant before we can get blessings of, of financial provision and, and blessings of, of material prosperity and blessings of, of healing, physical healing? Has God forgotten that we have bodies? Has for God forgotten that the, we have to pay rent, pay for fuel? Has God forgotten that? Not at all. But he's saying prioritize who you are spiritually, seek and hunger and thirst after God, and God knows about the rest. Amen? Think about Father, your heavenly Father. Hmm. Just imagine, Matthew 7, 11 says, if you then, being evil, what he's saying is earthly fathers are uh, and can no way be compared with the loving generosity of a heavenly father. Your dad may have been the very best. I know I'm the very best dad. I know that. I was recently told that, praise God. But even the best of us dads are nothing by comparison to our heavenly dad. It's so wonderful. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, and we do. We do. How much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Praise God, our heavenly Father knows. And he's ready and willing. We don't have to persuade him, twist his arm to make him do something. He is so ready, so willing to shower us with good things. James 1 verse 17 puts it this way. Every good gift, every perfect gift it's from above. The God who is so ready, so willing. You know, this is a picture of, of a sundial in a nation which is not so far away from the equator. And when the sun is shining in its full strength at noonday, there's no shadow on the sundial. This is the picture. Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. God is always favorably disposed towards his kids. 
He is so ready to shower us with, with blessing. There's no doubt. There's no shadow. There's no dark side to God. He is always ready and available to bless us and to fill us. And all this has been signed, secured in Jesus. But when you look carefully at each of those contexts, we could never run away with that teaching and become immature, demanding brats. You know what I'm talking about? Gimme, gimme, gimme God now. There's no blank check, blank check theology with God. Instant access to some kind of heavenly cash dispenser. Put the plastic in and out comes money. And just keep the code to yourself so nobody can steal your blessing. It's not like that. Not like that when you look at each of those verses I quoted in context. There is no way that that is designed to breed in us a spirit of immaturity and demandingness. Suppose even the wealthiest, most financially blessed family. The father is a millionaire. No, multi-millionaire. And the wife is a multi-multi-millionaire. I've got five kids, because they can afford them. And the kids want everything. Dad, can I have this? Dad, can I have that? Dad, can I have this? What kind of dad will say, yes, 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 yes. What do you need? 100,000 pounds. You're going on holiday here. Yes, 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 yes. Another car. Yes, another one. Yes. You would say, what an irresponsible father. Wouldn't you say that? You say, you've got more money than sense. What you're doing is bringing up immature kids who don't know and face reality. And every good father, though, is within his capacity to give everything, perhaps, he will say, wait a bit, you've got to learn some stuff. You've got to learn that life is not about demanding and getting. You've got to know that God is not like that. We don't get anything on demand from God. Everything we get is His grace, His goodness, and His choice. It's not like that. We, he doesn't want to bring up kind of very immature kids. But when we look at these promises, we are positively encouraged to do two things. In every single set of these promises, in the Sermon on the Mount and all the other verses I read, two things we're encouraged to do. Number one, seek God first. For himself. Seek him first. Find your deepest satisfaction in him and him alone so that if you only had him and everything else collapsed, you'd, be, you'd feel bad, you'd have pain, you'd be at all kinds of problems. But when it comes down to you, you say, God, everything's in you. Lord, you're all I want. Lord, you're all I ever needed. Ouch. You remember that song? That's a song. We sing it all the time. You're all I want. You're all I ever needed. 
sorry, Amanda. I, I promised her I wouldn't do that. <laughs> You're all I want. You're all I ever needed, and we love it. We may not sing it like that. You may actually sing it in tune, and unlike it. But we, and it's wonderful words. You're all that I want. You're all that I ever needed. You're all that I want. That is what is the truest aspiration of our hearts. Isn't that right? That's true. But unfortunately, it's not always consistently true. Because that really is our first desire, but these other things come in. And the first things become second things, and the second things become first things. And it's downhill all the way. Pursue God for himself. That's the first thing we're encouraged to do. Then alongside that, he says in all these verses, trust God with everything else. Pursue him with all of your heart for himself and trust God with all of the rest. All the circumstances of life. And it's easy to trust God and everything's going well. Praise God. Hallelujah. I had a double pay rise and a promotion. Praise God. I didn't win the lottery because that's sinful. I didn't win the lottery. I didn't even lose the lottery. It's even worse. What I did, God, was I just entered the competition, and I got it. I got my triumph. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Glory, glory, glory. Hallelujah. What's the matter with you? You're looking so miserable today. You should be like me. See how blessed I am? It's easy. In fact, maybe too easy to be happy when we're blessed, because what are we happy about, God or the blessing? But can you sing, can you smile, can you praise God when it's all gone wrong? Can you be like Job? The Lord has given. The Lord has taken away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. Without any kind of saying, I know i got to praise God now in these negative circumstances because privately now, don't let God hear me, but privately, here's the thing. If I show God right now that I can sing and praise him and when all the stuff's going wrong, that's going to make him put it right, isn't it? Because he's going to do it. So we sing the song like this. The Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. But blessed be the name of the Lord because he's going to give it all back twice over. Hallelujah. Isn't that right? Lord, bless you. Do you get what I'm arguing now? So we think there's a way of manipulating God and being happy when things go wrong. Rejoicing in suffering means that God will reverse every situation in your life and give you everything that you want and he should have given you in the first place. But because I'm a good Christian, I smiled when it didn't happen uh, for five weeks. And then when week six it came back, I said, that's right, God, you've done your job now. That's what you should have done in the beginning. But I'm a patient man. You, we, we, we don't like that, but you know, the truth is, I, exactly as I'm playing with you and having fun with this and making jokes out of it, the truth is, that attitude's in me. And it's probably in all of us. It's called the flesh. God never asks you to cooperate with him in your flesh. He says, kill it. Kill it. There's another way of living. Trust God in every circumstances of life. Don't worry. The Father knows, the Father cares, and the Father provides. 
in his own way. Not the way of our choosing. I really believe that God loves us so much that if we wrote a list of all the things, like writing to Santa Claus, God would say, wow, that's fantastic. I'd love to give it to you, but I'm not going to. Because I've got other priorities. God is not a withholder. And so even if for one second you're tempted to think that it looks like God is withholding something, uh uh-uh, stop right there. Stop right there. Because God's blessings are so rich, so fully provided for in Christ, every promise is yes and amen in Him. Jesus has paid for them all. It's, it's amazingly easy for God to pour blessing into our lives. It's his heart. It's his work. He's done all of that for us. So if it appears even for one second that God looks like he's withholding something, sit up and take notice straight away and say, Oh, God is up to something here. Get excited. Because he's up to something even better than if he blessed you in the way you ask straight away. Always, it is always the case, this is the true meaning of Romans 8, verse 28. All things, good and bad, pleasant and unpleasant, comfortable and uncomfortable, all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And that good is two things. It's your ultimate good. Secondly, it is For the glory of God. Get excited. Rejoice crazily, wildly when you go into times of trials because you know that God is up to something even better than if he gave you immediately everything that you asked for or desired, even the legitimate desires. That's so exciting. Praise God. All of this is about learning how to put first things first. And second thing, second, it's that simple. Quite hard to do consistently, but it's very simple. Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God. So if he says there's a first thing, it implies that there are other things which are secondary things. Not bad things, but secondary. Okay? Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things, what things? Second things, shall be added to you. Added to you. Now, you know, I've taught on this before, and I think it's quite right to look at these second things as byproduct of the first things, so long as we don't push it too far. Let me explain what I mean. A byproduct. If you go about seeking God and putting Him first, then these things will be added. But the danger is, is if we see that this is there's a, a kind of causal connection here. Meaning, God, if I pay my tithes, you, are, you have to bless me. Finan- you have to bless me financially. That if I live a good Christian life, you've got to make life work for me the way I want it to work for me. Do you realize how ungodly that is? We're actually dictating to God and believing that in somehow that he's obligated to do certain things for us because we have done what we believe we should do in order to bring it about. In other words, if I do A, then God must do B. He's obligated to do B. 
And if I want B, I've got to work out what A do I do to get the B that I want. But it's only the B that I'm focusing on. Second thing has become first thing. That's idolatry. It is a byproduct. God will bless you, I know, and these things will be added, meaning they are second things, and there is a place for second things, but it's never something that we can say, God, we demand that you give us what we want, when we want it, how we want it. And neither the blessings in our life, the consequence, the inevitable consequence, the obligation of God to give us because we've done what we should do. That's going back under the law. And the law, if you live like this, you get these blessings. You live like this, you get these curses. But we're not anything to do with that because Jesus has taken all our curse and we live by the Spirit. There's no unbreakable link between how we live and the material blessings in our lives. Is that not the case? A little bit of observation will tell you that there are some pretty fleshly Christians who seem to be wallowing in material wealth. God bless them. And others who are such godly people and yet they seem to struggle. I'm not just talking about finance. I'm talking about life in general. Things that we really long for and really want to see work in our lives and, and, and it doesn't happen. The unmarried lady that says, I really want to be married. I'm not going to break God's rules. I'm going to, I'm going to wait for God. But God, you better hurry up because my biological clock is ticking and I'm not joking. It's a very serious issue. You know, I sometimes I think there's some men around the place so dumb they're hardly breathing. You need to hit them, hit them overhead with the love of God and get, wake up and say, look, there's somebody. Anyway, let's not go there. But God is not a God to be manipulated or controlled. He's the sovereign God. He knows best just where, when, and how, and even if he blesses us. Because he's serving a purpose, a story that is bigger than what we would like to think about ourselves. I, I, was, I was thinking, and some testimony has been given, and we say it, we said it, at uh, William Lee's funeral. The greatest miracle of all is not that blind eyes should be opened physically or even dead people can come back to life which happens in miracles and signs and wonders. That's not the greatest miracle. The greatest miracle is that we should be born again by the power of God and be saved from hell to live with God forever in eternity. That's the greatest miracle. And if you haven't got that miracle today, God will never turn you away. You have to say, God, I need you. God, I need you in my life. I'm a sinner. I need your grace. I need your mercy. God, forgive me. Receive me into your kingdom. Surrender to him. That's just a prayer away. But that is the first and the greatest miracle. The second miracle is similar to it, and it comes hard on the heels of the first one. What's the next greatest miracle? Do you have all your prayers answered before Christmas? There's Christmas Day every day of your life. Then you get all that you want, wonderful as that might be, and even the good, legitimate things. No, that's not the greatest, second greatest miracle. The second greatest miracle is not just that we should go to heaven when we die, but that Christ should be formed in us now. That's a great miracle. That's a great miracle. And that's God's agenda. His purpose is predestined us that we might be conformed to the image of his son. That's what God is up to. 
Everything else is secondary to that. In your life and in my life, God's greatest agenda, his greatest desire, the greatest purpose for you and me is that we grow to be like Christ and God is very good at organizing all the circumstances so that in every situation we can believe God that we're in exactly the right place to grow spiritually as he's designed us to do. That's why Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's the key. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things, these second things have their place and God knows about them and God promises to be there for us. But when it doesn't look like it's working out, God is up to the higher purpose in the first level things to see Christ. In us. You know, I've thought very deeply, as I'm sure you all have. Unfortunately, the media has not always been accurate in reporting the atrocities that are taking place in various nations in the world. And there are many, many victims. Not all of them are Christian, the victims, but there is a very special level of hatred and persecution against our brothers and sisters in different parts of the world. And some of them have lost their lives while trusting God. Others have starved to death while trusting God. Well, we're, we're, what's the matter with them? You know, their problem was they didn't have enough faith. That was their problem. If they had enough faith, they wouldn't have been there. They wouldn't have died. Had enough faith, they would have brought an angel down from heaven to give them breakfast. That would be the logical conclusion of how many believers think. That if you're suffering, it's because you're lacking in faith. And if it looks like a promise is not fulfilled, looks like you pray for somebody with a terminal illness and they die, or you have a terminal illness and you die, then you have not done what you should do. Do you know that is a damnable view? God is not like that. He hasn't made it so hard to be healed that only the very best can get healed. It's so easy. Pure grace, simple faith, that if it doesn't happen, you don't say, God, you've let me down. Or what's wrong with me? You say, God, what are you up to? I'm only now beginning to understand something that has annoyed me for years. That's the testimony of Corrie ten Boom. Anybody know who I'm talking about? Uh, the book, The Hiding Place, the movie, Corrie ten Boom. She, with her family, helped ha house fugitive Jews under the Nazi occupation in Holland. And finally, they were arrested and sent to concentration camp. The two sisters, the father died. The two sisters, the elder sister, Betsy, she died in the concentration camp. And the younger sister, Corrie, was finally released. And she had such a wonderful testimony. She went all over the world telling people that you can trust God, that he is with you in the darkest hour of your life. When you're in the midst of unbearable suffering, he's with you. He never will forsake you and you cannot measure his love 
by your circumstances. This is one of her key sayings. And all this I got, I really did get. She's, one of her key sayings was, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. But in, later on in life, Corrie fell ill. Great woman of faith. She spoke to Jesus and Jesus, I know you can heal me. But let me ask you a question. What would bring greater glory to you? My being healed or my not being healed? And Jesus said, apparently, what would bring greater glory to me in your life, Corrie, is if I didn't heal you. So she said, so be it. I want to tell you the truth. I found that very uncomfortable. I, I, I really didn't agree with that. No, no, it's always God's will to heal, yes? Jesus paid the price on the cross for our healing. By his stripes we were healed. And yet that woman knew far more of God than probably I'll ever know. So close to God that she was willing to say, God, I want, even above my healing, which is a blessing and a second level blessing, it's a second thing blessing, it's not the most important thing. The most important thing is I want to give glory to you. Not that we go around looking for suffering and reveling in it and all the rest of it. No, no, it's a good, sensible thing to avoid it when we can. But if it happens, our right response is not, God, why have you let me down? What have I done wrong? What have I done to deserve this? I thought you were on my side. No, 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 God, what are you doing in my life? Because I want above all things to know you, to love you, to honor you, to serve you, and bring you glory. Now I'm beginning to understand that prayer. Doesn't sound very charismatic, but you know, if we're really talking about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about the Holy Spirit will bring us closer and closer to God where nothing else really, really matters, where he is number one in our lives. And the songs that we sing by way of aspiration, you're all that I want, you're all that I ever needed. In you and you alone I find satisfaction. God, so long as I have you, if everything else fails, you are enough. Because it's not about me and it's not about now. It's about us together in the fullness of your kingdom, which is coming. Hallelujah, may your kingdom come. Hallelujah, may your will be done. Imagine, that's the real spirit of Christ that's in us. Only the spirit of Christ can turn us away from our natural inclinations to look for satisfaction, to look for fulfillment, to look for all the provisions of this life as important as they are and as valid as they are and make those things truly second place. So, the issue is this, first things first. Now, I've been sharing this. Somebody said, hey, how, do I, how do I pray then? Well, I'll tell you how you don't pray. You don't pray demanding. And you don't even begin praying by asking God anything. What if you had a friend every time you saw them? Oh, yes, by the way, can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do that? Can you do the other? Can you do the other? Can you? Well, you call him your husband or your wife, but apart from that, okay. So when, 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 when you meet with somebody and all they ever do is ask you for things, ask you for things. Have a friend like that? Oh, can you lend me some money? Can you pick this up? Can you do that? Hey, are you, what kind of friend are you? With friends like that, who needs enemies? That's what you would say. 
That's how we deal with God. We come with our shopping list. God, hi God, good to see you again. Well, I don't really see you, but then I'm full of faith and you're invisible anyway. So I want this, 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 amen. Praise God. And you say, whatever I ask, I ask, I believe, hallelujah, I confess. Therefore, now you must bless over to you, God, five minutes, please. (laughs) Jesus told us how to pray. And in that prayer, after a bit, we'll come to it, there are six petitions beginning with, give us this day our daily bread. Amen. That's the first one. And it goes all the way through. And those categories of petition will give you vocabulary to ask God for anything you will ever need between now and when Jesus returns. Praise God. Here's a God says, ask, ask me. Come on, I'm your father. Ask me. I give you good things. Ask me. I provided. Amen. Amen. But before that, this is where we go wrong. We go straight to asking God for things. See how it begins. Remember how it begins? Let's say it with me to to begin with, whatever version you follow. Say it with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then... Give us. Then we start the petitioning. What is that first bit? It's amazing. The revelation in that, first of all, the first word in the original is Father. In English, it's our Father, because that's the way we, the word order in English, but in the original, it is Father of us. He's not just my Father, He is our Father, but the first word of the Lord's Prayer is Father. We come to him as a loving, heavenly father who has proved how much he loves us. The way in which he loves us gives us the definition of love itself. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent Christ into the world. He who has already delivered his son for us, how shall he also not along with him freely give us all things? Slight misquotation, but there it is. Oh, He's not a withholding God, he's a giving God, a loving God, giving God, forgiving God. So we worship him for who he is. Our Father, thank you, Lord, you're my Father. I come to you not as an austere, white-haired, angry, constipated old judge sitting on the bench. Just trying to picture an image there. Neither I come to you as a fuzzy, furry-haired, whiskered, white-whiskered Santa Claus dressed in hallelujah. Jingle bells, jingle bells, give me what I want. Not like that. We don't come to God. We come as Father. He is Holy Father. He is the Lord, the sovereign of the universe. By His very word, we all came into being. Wonderful God. Awesome. Our Father, not just mine, but our together. This is a community prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your holy name be honored. I set you apart in all your holiness and glory. Oh, suddenly it's no longer about me. It's all about him. Our Father who art in heaven, that's where you live. That's where you rule. That's where we're headed. May your holy name be honored. May your kingdom come. May your rule be established. May your will be done in me. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now in that spirit of acknowledgement, of relationship, of praise, worship, and community, and humility, we say, give us this day our daily bread. Thirst 
things first. Second things second. Oh, how wonderful. Second things, they will be added as second things. They are very elusive when we seek them as first things. So our practical needs, the provisions of a loving, generous, heavenly Father, yes, but never looking to these things as the source of our satisfaction, the source of our happiness, the reason for being. Oh, that's idolatry. But saying, God, I trust you. I know you love me. And I know you come through for me. But in your way, in your time, and maybe, friends, there'll be some things that we will die saying, God, I wish I'd had that, but you know best. And nobody pointing a finger says, well, you could have if you'd known how to pray better. Bless, confess, put enough money in the offering. You could have got it. No, 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 no. We have no handle on God. There is no A that will always guarantee the B that we want or desire. But we can trust God for both A and B and say, Father, I'm yielded to you. I'm seeking first your kingdom and your righteousness in my life. And that is enough. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for the wonderful joy and glory of serving Jesus. We bless you for who you are. Bless you for all that you give to us. You're such a loving, generous Father, and we're all abounding in so many blessings, and that's wonderful, but we don't trust in those things. We trust in you. We don't search for those things as first priority. We desire them, we want them. When they don't come, it hurts, but we still put you first. And we say, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Amen. Amen. Give Jesus a big praise.